Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, go, I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go if Saul hears that he will kill me? But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. They invited they invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came, he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. The Lord looks at the outward appearance. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made Shammah pass by him, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? He said, Well, there remains with the youngest. I want you to circle that and remember that, the youngest. And there he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Sit and bring him, for he will not sit down till he comes to him. And they, brought him, they, they sent and brought him in, and he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. And Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. We've all been overlooked. We've all been cast aside. We've, we've all been viewed as insignificant. But I pray today, through the preaching of the Word of God, that every heart will be ready to receive the Word of God. Through the Word that, that's preached today, God, that you, you'll remove distraction, anything that, that hinders from getting this on the inside of us, God, not just in our head, but down in our heart and our spirit as well. And I thank you for what you're going to do as we, uh, for the results of this time. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Now, so what's happened here is David, David is in the sheep field, and God is calling him to be the king of Israel. Let me give you some backstory real quick. Saul has rebelled against God. God said, I'm going to get rid of Saul. And Samuel, as the prophet of God, is so just upset, and finally God says to Samuel, look, I want you to go and, and stop worrying about Saul because I've got me somebody else already picked out to be the next king. So Samuel goes to the, goes to, the to offer sacrifice in the town where David lives, and, and God, about the instruction of the Lord, and God tells him to go to his house. He tells him, this is what I want you to do. I want you to anoint the one that I tell you to anoint. And, of course, when David... all David goes when all the Jesse's family gets together, all his sons get together because they're going to be anointed the next king. His daddy doesn't even acknowledge that he is to be there. Jesse doesn't even ask his own son, his youngest son, to come to this particular party. Now, I guess the question is, well, why would he do that? What would make a daddy think, think so less of a son that he wouldn't even invite him when a prophet's coming to call somebody to be the next king of a nation? And, you know, because the reason could be many. 
I mean, if you look at it, you go, well, I'm not sure why, but what would cause the parents to think that? Well, maybe it was just because how that he was a, a nice-looking boy, and maybe Jesse was ugly. Maybe he was jealous of him. Maybe David was the, if he was the youngest son, maybe he was the one that, and it doesn't mention the mother, maybe the, that the mother was, died in childbirth, and, and, J, and David reminded Jesse of what he had lost. Maybe Jesse was a manly man. He was a hunter. He was a fisher. He liked breaking stuff and building stuff and killing bears with his hands. Maybe he liked stuff like that. And David just played the harp. He didn't like his gifts. But whatever the case may be, the Bible says that Jesse did not invite David to the coronation of the next king of Israel. And if you look at verse number 10, I want to read it to you again. And you underlined it. So Jesse called all of his seven sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here that he said there remains yet the youngest? And there he is, keeping the sheep. Now, that word youngest there, if I can break it down to you, it doesn't just mean that he was the least in years. The word is, is, is hakatan. It's the Hebrew word. I'll read it to you. It means small, insignificant, unimportant, or even worthless. So when David said he's the youngest, he said, oh, you don't, no, 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 no. not David. Jesse looked at David, he said, no, he's the least of the ones all of my sons. He's really insignificant. His job is just to keep the sheep. He's really worthless. And I don't know about you, but have you ever had anybody make you feel as if you are insignificant, unimportant, or worthless? David had his own parent his own daddy make him feel that particular way. Maybe a boss didn't like you or a parent favored your, other, your siblings or your gifts were different than everybody else. But I want you to know something today. It doesn't matter what other people think about you. It matters what Almighty God thinks about you. And as a child of God, He approves of you. He's pleased with you. He's already made up his mind about you because the blood has already been shed. And when he sees you, he sees you through the light of the gospel. And in, in the light of the gospel, he's pleased with you. Now, God does like you. Salvation is the proof of that. Now, can I give you maybe just a little bit of, how do they say, editorial in this? I believe that because David's father didn't really, uh, was, that David wasn't really the favorite of his father, that that drove David to do some of the things that he did. Anybody ever seen that? People who are less than or people have a disability, it causes them to rise up and do great things. Because we know that after this in the next story, David got picked to go to the palace to play his harp for King, for King Saul. We know that, I mean, can you imagine? Of all the people in the, in, the, in, the, in the country, old little David got picked that whenever that evil spirit would come upon King Saul, that David would play his harp and the evil spirit would leave. David was the one that was picked for that. We know a little bit after that that David saved the nation by slaying Goliath. David and Goliath, David, this little teenage boy, slew this mighty warrior. And the whole nation brought a victory at the hands of little David. Then he became best friends with the son of the king. I mean, he was just hanging out with royalty. He was hanging out in the palace. So all of a sudden, David became this insignificant person to this person who every time he turned around, he had what they call the golden touch. We feel sorry sometimes for the poor guy who didn't have it easy. We feel sorry for sometimes for the person who has disabilities. 
We feel sorry for the person that nobody wants to be with or that was the, the nerd in school. And sometimes God uses that very thing not as a stumbling stone but as a springboard to be what God wants him to be. Sometimes God takes those people that others don't look to. God takes those people who've been broken and beaten and uses them and takes them and refolds folds them and reshapes them to do something great for the kingdom of God. Proverbs says it like this, a worker's appetite works for him because his hunger urges him on. Sometimes it's the wounds that lead to the winds in life. I was watching one day, there was a basketball game going on, pickup game. And there were some kids, young kids playing. I was sitting by a teacher. And there was one kid out there who had a gimpy arm. I'm not saying that to be disrespectful, but his arm wasn't fully grown. Left arm wasn't fully grown. Came out to about three quarters. It was kind of a nub at the end. He was a big kid, and his right arm was good, but he was dominating the game. I mean, he was all over the place. I mean, he was pushing kids aside. He was getting rebounds, everything. And the, the lady next to me, the teacher next to me said, you know, psychology, psychologically, he's probably overcompensating for the fact that he has a disability. And I was like, he's out there winning, beating everybody like drums. I mean, he's out there getting it done. Doesn't really matter that he had a disability, but what mattered that he didn't use that wound as something to cause him to, to be sorry for himself, but it caused him to do something to win in life. It's the lack in our lives that draws us to excel. It's those things that other people have that we don't that causes us to serve and believe God for things that are impossible. Don't be upset because you got a few things wrong with you. God may take those very things that are wrong with you and use them for something great, for his glory. I know we don't sing out of the hymn very much anymore, hymn book. There's a lady named Fanny Crosby. You ever heard the song, Blessed Assurance? Blessed Assurance. Jeez. Yep, that one. She wrote 7,000 hymns, and that was one of them. Do you know she was born, when she was born, the doctor took eye drops to put in her eyes and actually put poison in there? She was blind from that time till the day she died. And yet, in spite of that, she wrote, wrote over 7,000 hymns that people sang to worship and praise Jesus for years and years, after, long after she'd passed. So don't ever think that a deficiency always causes a problem. Sometimes a deficiency is really transport us to a dream. Now, David may not have been favored by his own dad, but watch this, but he still slew a giant. Maybe his brothers didn't think much of him, but he still saved a nation. Maybe the people around him didn't give him the credit that he deserved or maybe give him the respect that he deserved, but don't mistake, he still won a nation for the kingdom of God. Now, here's where you come in. Even in David's problem, God brought a Samuel into his life. Even though his own daddy didn't believe in him, God brought a Samuel who did. Yep, I thought I'd do better. Even though his daddy, his father, didn't think enough of, enough of him, but he called him a hakaton, insignificant, worthless, Samuel saw what God saw. The supervisor may not thank you very much, but the owner of the company loves you. The first spouse didn't appreciate you, but the second one thinks that you're the greatest thing since butter popcorn. Your daddy may not think much about you, but God brought you some spiritual daddies who believe in you and think that you can do great things for the kingdom of God. What I love about church is every single time we get together, there's people who believe in you. There's people that other people may have pushed aside, but there's a guy sitting right next to you. And he, every time he sees you, he tells you, God's got a great purpose and a great plan for you. Oh, there's people that maybe you go out into this world or teachers or maybe former business associates who didn't think very much of you, but God's people always bring somebody. God will always bring somebody around you who believes in you and be a Samuel to you. 
That's my job in this life, to find me a David and be that Samuel to a David. See, everybody needs somebody that believes in them. Everybody needs somebody that believes that their life can be more than they could ever ask or think. Everybody needs a Samuel to look at them and say, I see the anointing and the power of God on you. I lost two uh, in-laws in the last several years. Father-in-law about a year ago lost a a mother-in-law, I think seven years now, six years now. And um, of all the people in the world that, that, that really believed in me, they did. Safe to say that I'm still here today because somebody like that believed in me. See, because I didn't really believe in me because there's no preachers in my background. You go back, I'm talking about years, like hundreds of years. There's no preacher in our lineage. So I didn't have a, an uncle who to go on. I didn't have a, a, a parent or a great-grandparent or a legacy of, of ministers or preachers. But I had Robert and Celeste Hoover. And God brought them in just the right place in the right time, and they believed in me. And there were days that I couldn't even, I, couldn't, I didn't believe in myself, but they believed that God could do something great with a person like me. I always knew if I preached a good sermon, because he didn't say a word. But if I didn't preach a good sermon, he'd come up to me and say, that was the best sermon I ever heard. And you say, well, that made, but that made me feel good because I knew he was always in my corner. And everybody needs somebody like that in their corner. And that was David and that was Samuel. Now, here's the thing I want to show you. David was successful, but he still had some wounds in his life. I mean, how do you think it felt now? Think about it. First of all, his daddy didn't even let him come, didn't even invite him into the the coronation party. But how do you think it was when he came home after all those victories? How do you think that they, how do you think it, how do you think that he responded after he defeated Goliath? How do you think Jesse acted when David walked in the door of their house after he had gone to the palace, been picked to the palace to to take care of it and to play for Saul? I think it would have been different. You're right, sis. Oh, come on in here. Hey, David's home. Wow, David's home. I've been a dad. Move out of the way. Get out of the way. Sit right here in my place. Oh, how things. Tell us about how's life in the palace. Oh, how's life in the real world? How does it feel rubbing shoulders with royalty? I bet he was just the cat's meow when he went home then. Jesse, come on. Jesse said, come on in here, David. We need to sit and visit you. The one who was worthless is now worth something. And I believe that that was a problem. I believe David's problem was when he began to see himself based on what he did and not who he was. I believe that he began to think that my daddy likes me when I slay the giant. My daddy's proud of me when I'm rubbing shoulders with royalty. My daddy really likes me a lot when, when I'm, I'm playing the harp or I'm winning a victory. And so I think he began to see himself through that light. And my friends, can I tell you, one of the problems that Christians face today is they see themselves through the eyes of what I can do and not through the eyes of who I am. Because if we begin to think that God's plea was based on what we do, we're going to fall, fall short every single time. Who I am to God is the most important, critical question you can ever ask yourself today. Who am I? I did this when I was in, growing up. I played athletics. And uh, when you play athletics, here's how I kind of figured everything out. If you win, that's good. If you lose, that's bad. So here's what I did. If I won, I'm good. If I lose, I'm bad. Do you understand the the frustration when everything hinges on how your life is going? 
If I'm winning, I'm great. If I'm losing, I'm bad. Because see, what I'd done is I'd based who I was on what I did and not on who he is. Did you get that part? You have to understand who you are in Christ. You have to understand that what God has done for you and, and changed you and transformed you is the most miraculous thing that will ever happen in your lifetime. He took you from darkness to light. You were broken and he fixed you. He took you that, that, was, that, was, that was lost and, and away from God and brought you into the household and the family of God. Wonderful thing what God had done by making you a child of God. And so if we get it backwards, we begin to think the same thing, that who I am is more important, that what I do is more important than who I am, and that's not the case. I learned this from Leanne. She'd been doing this a lot longer than I had. So we'd play something, and, and I'd win, and I was so fired up and happy, I was dancing around the house. And she was like, hey, great, we won. And then if I lose, I'd be, I mean, I'd be depressed, discouraged, walking around, you know, just all beat down. The Razorbacks won. Hey, we're doing great. The Razorbacks lost. I was mad for two weeks. She was kind of like, okay, we won, we lost, who cares? And I learned something, that whether we win or we lose, God's still the same. And whether we win or lose, I'm still saved. And whether we win or lose, I'm still on my way to heaven. And whether we win or lose, it don't matter. God still loves me and cares about me. And whether we win or lose, God's still for me, not against me. And I think this is where David got it wrong. This is where I want to talk to you real quick. I just want to put a point I want to make. This is where I feel that David began to fall. I believe that David got his eyes off who he was to God and just saw himself based on what he did. Now, let me, let me give you the reason behind that. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. Now follow along with me, I'm going to read it slow. It happened in the spring of the year, at the times when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. See, because here's the thing, if David thought that he was valuable because of what he had done, in this particular moment, he stayed home when kings go to war. It was a time of season where, where, where if you were a king, you went to the battlefield. That was time for the battle. You went to the battlefield. David decided to stay home. So if David decided to stay home and he had a, an idea, and he, he thought that what he did is, is how valuable he was, he wasn't very valuable because he wasn't doing what good kings are supposed to do. Good kings go to war. Bad kings don't go to war. I'm a good king because I went to war. I'm a bad king because I didn't go to war. And I wonder if he's beginning to, just in his mind, he's beginning to play that out. I should be there with Joab. I should be there with my soldiers. If I was a good king, I would be there, but I'm not a good king because I'm not there. And I believe his mind continues. Maybe he goes back to his daddy. You know what? My daddy didn't even believe in me. When I was winning, daddy loved me. When I was losing, daddy didn't care about me. Daddy thought I was insignificant. Daddy thought I was Hakatown. And I wonder if we begin to think about that again. Maybe I am worthless. Maybe I'm not a good king. Maybe I'm not a good Christian. Maybe I'm not a good husband, not a good, a good, a good father. Maybe I'm just Hakatown. And guess what happened? There was Bathsheba bathing on a roof. See, I'm convinced of this that David didn't know who he was in that moment. He'd forgotten. He thought that who he was is based on what he did and not who God was in him. 
See, the same thing for me and you today. When I look across the expanse of Christendom and Christianity, I see Christians who really don't understand who they are in Christ. They don't know how valuable they are to God. Do we serve and and work for God and serve Him? Absolutely. But we serve Him because we know who we are and not because we're trying to get His favor. God's already pleased with you because of grace. God already loves you because He loves to the very uttermost. God's already proud of you and pleased with you because of the cross of Christ. And it's high time that somebody start believing it. It's high time that somebody start knowing and understanding that who I am to God is more important than what the the politics says about me, the bank says about me, my detractors, my critics say about me. The most important voice in the world is what does God have to say about me and about you? Can I read to you what God says about you? Go ahead and say yes. I'm going to do it anyway. You are complete in Christ. When he sees you, he doesn't see broken. He doesn't see not fixed. He doesn't see not done yet. He sees complete in Christ. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, he sees that you are complete in Christ. You are more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. That means that any obstacles in your way, you got the goods, you got the stuff, you got the resources to overcome it. That means that no matter what you face, no matter how sick or how broken or how, or how tired or worn out, that whatever you face, that there's a power that's on the inside of you that can overcome whatever that obstacle is. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. He says, Behold, all things are made new. Old things have passed away. You are not the same person that you used to be. You're not. You say, I look the same. I feel the same. I got the same name. But in the mind of God, you're completely different. Used to, you'd be broken. Now you're put back together. Used to, you need rehabilitation. Today, you're you're a brand new person. He changed your desires. He changed your hopes. He changed your dreams. He changed the way you talk, the way you act. Everything is different because when Jesus saves a person, he makes them brand new. He stepped from darkness into light. You used to serve the devil. I did too. We used to follow after the things of Satan, but God changed us. And now we don't, we don't serve El Slewfoot anymore. We don't serve him anymore. Now like Pharaoh, he's got to suck salt water in our life because the beauty of God is that God changed us to that kingdom of light. If we mess up, before we had to go and get drunk, today he just forgives us if we ask him. Confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Before I had this guilt and this shame, now I'm justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Before I was lost and and, and good for nothing, rockaton, hakaton, today I've been declared righteous by the blood of Jesus through faith. Before I was was, was at mercy of the devil, today I'm redeemed out of the hand of the devil. Before I was lost and hated, now I'm accepted and loved by God through Jesus Christ. Nobody loves you like Jesus. The world will pay all the money that they own to find somebody who cares about them and somebody that loves them. And they'll give everything that they have. God gave everything to us so that he could show us, I love you and die for you. 
Nobody has ever died for you. Nobody's ever done everything and given everything just to be with you like Jesus has. You're special to God. You are. You're important to Him. You're not, a, you're not His problem. You're His prize. You're not somebody that just He kind of puts up with. I'm talking one day, Pat, and we were praying before we had, we were in prayer time in the morning. And uh, I was talking about how sometimes I feel guilty if I don't pray. It's been a while since I had prayed, and I thought, you know, and then when I feel like I go back to God, I feel like it's kind of like he's going, where you been? Sitting up here waiting on you. Didn't know if you'd ever go come back, but I guess you can go ahead. What do you need? Okay, well, I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't help you. That was my mindset. I'm so, I mean, I'm sorry I'm not that spiritual, but sometimes I just thought that God just kind of had this viewpoint of me that he was just sitting up there like this going, I was waiting for you. So we're sitting in prayer, and I said that. Remember that, Pat, sitting in there? And Pat said, you know what, I don't think he thinks like that. He said, I think he's like, hey, baby, what's up? Hey, man, I've been waiting on you to come on back. Oh, it's good to see you. I've been waiting. I'm just so glad. What do you need? You just name it. I'll give it. You need it. I'll give it to you. And in that moment, I thought, I think God's a whole lot more like that than he was about the way I think. And when we don't pray, he's not sitting up there going, oh, my goodness, where have you been? He's saying, oh, my goodness, thank you for coming to see me today. I'm so blessed to know that you're here. So when that voice starts to tell you in the back of your head, tells you that you're not enough, tells you that you're not good enough, tells you that you're unworthy, go ahead and stand upon the Word of God and says, I am enough. In Christ, I am enough. Say it with me. In Christ, I am enough. In Christ, I am good. In Christ, I am healed. In Christ, come on, I am saved. In Christ, I'm on my way to heaven. In Christ, I can face any giant, any devil that wants to come my way. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.